Ah, motherhood. One minute, your mom of the year. I love you, mommy. Then the next? Mm, not so much. From bath time to bullying, from potty training to puberty, parenting is full of challenges. But one thing is for certain, you are not alone. Welcome to Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, author, mother, parenting expert, Tara Clark. Join me while we tackle today's Modern Mom Problems. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of Modern Mom Probs. I am your host, Tara Clark. And today, as we often do, we're trying to solve the world's modern mom problems. But if we can't, at least we're having fun talking about them. Today, we're talking about how to raise emotionally intelligent children. Alyssa Blask Campbell, CEO of Sow and Seed, has a master's degree in early childhood education and is a leading expert in emotional development. Her popular podcast, Voices of Your Village, is a gathering place for parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts, creating a modern parenting village and reaches listeners in more than 100 countries. Alyssa has been featured as an expert in publications such as the Washington Post, Burlington Free Press, and Family Education. Alyssa, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm super jazzed to get to hang out with you. I'm super jazzed that you're here. Before we we jumped on or before I hit record, we were like chatting about all kinds of things. And one thing I have to say that I really love is you have used great words. Like you said <laughs> jazzed and you said sick before. And I was like, oh, I love her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is just me. Buckle up, sister. Here it comes. <laughs> Perfect. I am ready. I am sitting down and I am good to go. So you have a new book out, which is super exciting. It's called here. I'm going to hold it up, but that's, you know, no one's going to see this, but Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, How to Navigate Tantrums, Meltdowns, and Defiance to Raise Emotionally Intelligent Children. I wish that I had this seven years ago. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's never too late. So this is still applicable. I built a lot of these tools in my 20s, still building some in my 30s. Like, (laughs) yes. Turns out it does, it's never too late. But yeah, I, I honestly had the privilege of doing this work and writing the book that I needed as a teacher, that I need as a parent. And so same. Same, <laughs> same. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And you know, it's interesting. Obviously, I always read the books before I, I have people on to chat about them. And I love you have five like main pillars in there. And I'll, I'll let you share those. But As I was reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, because those are the pillars that I tend to parent by as well. And I was working on a social media post where I was talking about my own parenting style. And I think I had three or four of your five. And I was just like, that's bananas. So walk me through what those five pillars are. I love that. Yeah. So we, my colleague Lauren and I co-created the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method, SEP for short, CEP. And it is these five components. Four of them are about us as the adult. And one is adult-child interactions. So there's one, adult-child interactions, how we engage with the kids, what we say, et cetera, uh, about us. Now, we've got self-awareness, so being able to notice what's happening for us. I think of it like a volcano as it's building before it explodes. 
that I think also, by the way, I think that's the hardest, like that part of like tuning into what's going on for us. Part two here, we're looking at uncovering implicit bias. This is where we dive into what we're bringing from our childhood, our social programming. I write in the book that sometimes I open my mouth and my mom comes out and like, sometimes it's great. Sometimes I totally want to pass it on. Sometimes I've spent a lot of time in therapy trying to not pass that on. And so what does that look like? Learning about our biases of like age bias is a big one of, oh, they're old enough to know better. They should know this by now. Things like that. So we dive into those. And then as you build awareness of them, what do you do next? Where do you go with that? And then we have self-care. We break this up. I feel like it's gotten so buzzwordy lately, but for us, it's not something that is like an occasional thing you do when you have time. We look at how do you take care of your nervous system all day, both proactively and reactively. So how are you nurturing yourself? We get super nerdy here. We get to dive into the nervous system and the eight sensory systems and helping folks understand what are you sensitive to and then what's regulating for you. How about the kid in front of you? How about your partner or co-parent? Because there is no one size fits all with this. And actually my child and I are a sensory mismatch. And so what's set, what's regulating for me is often dysregulating for him. Like I love touch. I'm like, could be mad at my husband. I'm like, don't talk to me, but can you put your hand on me? I could have a massage for four days. And I'm like, I want more, right? Like I love touch. And Sage, my little guy is dysregulated by touch. It's one of his sensitivities. And so if he's having a meltdown, having a hard time, and I put my hand on him or offer a hug, like it's dysregulating for him. Uh, so we go into that in the self-care portion of really helping you understand how your nervous system works so that you can utilize self-care that's unique to you and then pull those things in in the moment as well when you're dysregulated. And then part four is scientific knowledge. This is where we continue to be nerdy with you. I love getting nerdy. <laughs> I'm not like a fluff person. So I there's a lot of nerdiness in here. And Give me all the science. Give me all <laughs> yeah, the science. Same. Like I want to know, I want to understand how it works, right? Like that helps me then be like, okay, I'll apply this. And so in the scientific knowledge part, we go into things like mirror neurons. And, you know, I think we hear a lot these days, like it's not your child's job to get calm for you. It's your job to get calm for your child. But what does it actually look like in practice? How do you do that? And why is it important? And how does it show up in other ways, etc.? So those are the five SEP components. I love it. I love it. How did you come up with that? I like that you call it SEP because I was in my head, I was like going to call it CEP the whole time. But sure. how, how did you like even develop SEP in the first place? We didn't set out to. We found, we were both teaching at the time and Lauren was like, I think we're doing something different. And as we started to look at like what we'd been exposed to in our masters and what our like kind of professional development, professional learning was so behavior focused. How do we get certain behaviors to stop and how do we elicit other behaviors? And first of all, it like sounded great in like a workshop or whatever. And then we'd be in practice and like a kid slaps me across the face or throws a block or whatever. And now I want to fight a two-year-old and I don't have access to any of that. Right. And so for us, it was just like, oh, this is so much about us that 
I could learn all, I can give you all the scripts in the world to say to your kid. And if in the moment you feel like they're being a brat or you feel like they're being high maintenance or they're needy or they're dramatic, you're not going to access that script with authenticity or connection. And so for us, it was really like we we're like, let's dive into what exists in the research and the methods and approaches right now and find the one that suits us best. And as we were diving in, we found bits and pieces in some spaces, but nothing that was comprehensive enough for us. So that led to the creation of SEP. Many times I've noticed that the scripts don't work. Yeah. So you have every intention to go there with your script that you saw, you know, maybe from someone online. There's several psychologists online who are very quick to say, here, try this. If this, then this. And for instance, I have a child who does not respond to those scripts. So for for us, I have to always work on our relationship, right? And I know that that's tantamount. And then after that, then going back to what you were saying earlier is that, you know, what can we do to regulate his nervous system and regulate my nervous system and sort of match it accordingly. Yeah, a hundred percent. I feel the same way about scripts. Actually, I mean, you noted my language. Like if I use somebody's script, then we don't connect in the moment because it doesn't sound like me. It's not how I would talk, you know? Actually, not long ago, I was crying. I was having a hard day. My husband walked into the room and he was like, wow, you look sad. And I was like, way to go, bud. Like, you f- <laughs> What what led you to that, right? Like, and it just in the moment I was like, "That's not helpful. That's not how you talk." It was, but it felt like he was just like reading a script, right? And I didn't feel connected. It didn't lead to like, "Yeah, let me tell you about my sadness." I was just like, "Yeah, way to go. You saw tears on my face, right?" And like. I think so often we can do that. It's one of my like pain points with Instagram actually. And a lot of the like parenting influencer culture is this idea of like, say this to your kid. And it's like, right. But if inside you don't feel that it doesn't really matter. We're going to feel it on the outside. I really want to help folks do the us part of this work so that you can use your authentic voice in the moment and connect with your kid. A thousand percent. I am such a firm believer of that. I say that time and time again, that that's the case. In the book, you talk about, and I'm, I hope I don't like butcher this. No, feel free it, to butcher you, it. No, <laughs> <laughs> no but, but you talk about emotional processing, which is different from self-regulation. Yeah. And what you just said there sort of spoke to me and as reference to that. Care to elaborate? Totally. So we separate sensory regulation and emotional regulation. And what we're doing here is helping folks understand like the difference between feeling a feeling and being consumed by this feeling. That when you experience, say, fear and you're feeling scared, your nervous system reacts, right? Like you get that adrenaline, the cortisol, you're in your reactive brain, your body is out of control, your whole brain is not online. And so what we focus on first is how do we get the body to regulate, to get that whole brain back online so that you can be with the emotion, fear, without spiraling into anxiety, without spiraling into this place where your body's out of control and you can't hold space for that emotion. You can't talk about it. You can't access your tools for it. So often outside of these moments, we as adults or our kids can acknowledge like, here's what I should do in the moment. Here's what I could say. Here's how I could communicate. Here's how I can calm my body. 
But if we don't have the tools for what does it feel like inside when this is building and then how do I regulate my nervous system, then we can move into you still feel fear or you might still feel sadness or frustration or disappointed, but then you can be with that emotion and have access to your whole brain. Mm, I think so many people aren't aware of that or don't acknowledge that because I know with my son, if he's not regulated, you can't even speak to him. Totally. You know, like you might as well. So I've learned over the course of 10 years that I need to give him time. Yeah. And then when he is calm and regulated, then you could have a conversation about it. But at that exact moment in time, like you said, like you can't process the fear if you are elevated. Correct. Yeah, you literally can't access those parts of your brain that you need to retain that. When you're producing that adrenaline and cortisol, it turns on your amygdala, which is that fight, flight, freeze, fawn part of your brain. And what it does is dull the hippocampus and the prefrontal cortex. So the hippocampus is responsible for memory. Sometimes what can happen here is the hippocampus is not totally offline. It's dulled. You can store memories then related to that emotion, which can come out later. So that can be a bit of a doozy. We see that with like trauma, where you might remember certain things that then you connect like, oh, a basement means I'm not safe, but really like this thing just happened in a basement, right? So we can see that, but then the prefrontal cortex shuts down that like rational thinking brain and that ability to access problem solving, conflict resolution, navigate those conversations. Uh, and then with the hippocampus dulled, we can see that like long-term memory and, and short-term actually can both be hard to retain. So if you have a kid who say is in a stress response and they're trying to remember what they'd studied for that test and now they can't come up with it because they can't access all of their brain. And then what we're looking at here, and, and I think this is what's so hard for us as adults, is that we aren't talking about the behaviors in the moment because it's not an effective time to talk about them. But it can feel for us as the adults like we're condoning behavior or we're ignoring it or we're not addressing it. When we support a child in getting calm and feeling safe in their body first and then later going in to talk about the behavior or navigate that conflict res or problem solving, and it, for us, usually we have to override that system, that bias that's going to pop up that's like, oh, now I'm condoning behavior. Oh, I never considered the bias. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. Like, as you're saying, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Because many times you're like, oh, you should know better. Or, oh, now you're five and you know not to act like that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, this is like bratty, or if I am help, if I'm connecting with them right now to help them regulate or calm, I'm reinforcing the bad behavior can come up for us, especially if we grew up in cultures where, which was a lot of us did, where it's like only acknowledge and be present to positive behaviors and then punish, shame, or ignore bad behaviors. And that was a really common approach in psychology for a long time. And some places we're seeing shifts. A lot of school systems, we're still seeing that at play of like positive behavior supports and really just like reinforcing positive behavior. Some things like planned ignoring, like ignoring bad behaviors. This idea of like, if we are responding to these quote bad behaviors, then we're reinforcing them. What we know is that behavior is always a communication of a need. And so we're either looking at a sensory need, their nervous system's dysregulated, they're hungry, they're tired, they need to move, they're overwhelmed, overstimulated, 
or it's a need for connection, belonging, inclusion. And these ones, the connection ones, are often the most triggering for us as adults, where it feels needy, attention-seeking. This is where you'll see defiance often, where a kid stares you in the face while they do the thing they know they're not supposed to do. And being able to meet that with connection, it can feel really hard for us of like, oh, they're asking for attention and connection, and I'm going to meet that behavior with attention and connection, and then later let them know how else they can get that attention. Man, Alyssa, you are so good. I mean, I interview a lot of people, right? I speak to a lot of people in my job. And I have to say, I feel like they need to teach this in every school. Thanks. Yeah, I agree. We actually have a program for schools. I know you have a program. That's what (laughs) I was going to say. You do have a program for schools. So, So how do you get that into every school? I feel like that needs to be in every school because so so many. And especially for my school growing up, I went to a very small Catholic school. So that's a different story altogether. But (laughs) I'm still working through that emotionally. But having said that, I think that this program should be in, in all schools because it's one thing to apply this at home, which I would hope many parents do. But it's a whole nother thing when you're in the school environment. Yeah. Yeah. So we created basically what I needed as a program uh, for early childhood. So right now we are in childcare, family childcare programs, universal pre-K programs, some public schools. We're pre-K and kindergarten. And we're actually just starting some R&D for K-5 kindergarten to fifth grade to be able to bring it there. We've had wild rad success in our childcare programs. And that is now like very much up and running and scaling and spreading. And it's truly, we don't, somebody the other day was like, you do such good marketing for this. And I was like, oh, we have no marketing budget. It's literally word of mouth because teachers need it, right? Like I got to create what I needed as a teacher and it's, it's the workshops around it, but we also have a platform where they can ask questions and get expert support, psychologists, occupational therapists, et cetera, at any point uh, to be able to apply it. It's incredible, though, because this, I mean, in my opinion, and who am I really, but but in my opinion, like, this should be in curriculum, part of, like, interwoven with the curriculum in every school, because this is the part that is so often overlooked five days a week. And I'm saying that for kids that are in elementary school, let's say, that are going five days a week, six hours a day. And, and this is, like, really lacking, in that totally. space. Yeah, in, in a couple of ways. One, the like proactive regulation, understanding how a kids' nervous system works. And then two, what we often see in K-12 are behavior supports. So we have school psychologists and behavior support teams that come in to address behaviors in the classroom. And we don't end up getting to the need beneath the behavior. And what we can also see happen is that the kids start to build an attachment with the behavior support team and not with the teacher because it's the behavior support team that's stepping in to connect with them, to help them through this, et cetera. A lot of the work that we are doing right now with specifically our public school programs and looking at our kindergarten Uh, UPK and like kindergarten uh, first grade teachers is this of like when your behavior support team comes in, We want your behavior support team as often as possible to support your classroom and step in while you connect with this child and help them navigate this. But we have to arm teachers with the how of that. I know for myself, my master's focused heavily on classroom and behavior management, not on understanding the needs of the child and the nervous system and all that. So it's it's definitely support that our teachers need. 
This episode is brought to you by Modern Mom Style Box. Upgrade your wardrobe and enjoy unlimited styles for just $60 a month. Modern Mom Style Box is the first rental clothing subscription designed exclusively for moms and moms-to-be. Get started today with a free trial. Use promo code PTO. It really is, because from what I've seen anecdotally with my son and, and his teacher even last year, where the teacher wants to help and thinks that he's doing what is needed, but actually isn't connecting in an effective way. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, it's all well-intentioned. Uh, I just don't think we've supported our teachers enough with these tools. Yeah. In your book, you often say the future is emotionally intelligent. And I love that phrase. I love it. And because for me, it, it invokes a few things. One, we're teaching our children to be emotionally intelligent. I also then take that to mean as when their parents, and even for us, then we are learning emotional intelligence to pass it on. And so I want to talk about that a little bit. Like, how, what What inspired you to really go in on this emotional intelligence piece? I think it's a game changer for the world, right? Like when I look at the people I like to work with or the bosses I've really enjoyed being in relationships, my husband, like looking at like, who do I feel drawn to? It's usually folks with a high EQ, emotional intelligence over a high IQ. Like even when we're staffing at seed, like, one of the things we're looking at is like, where's this person's EQ? What's their emotional intelligence? That for me is just such a game changer in how you get to show up in conflict, how you get to show up throughout the day. What does your burnout and overwhelm look like? How do we navigate challenges in relationship? And so it just... I feel like very naturally drawn to that as I had the privilege of getting to work on my own EQ and build a lot of these skills for myself. I also then got to live without anxiety for the first time. Like I got to, it really changed my day to day and how I moved through the world. And I was like, man, what would it be like if folks had these tools and they were accessible and then started to like really envision like, what does this look like? What would it look like for my kid to have these tools? What would it look like for his peers to have these tools? What would it look like for his future boss and partners and whatever to have these tools? And just that trickle down of like, what does it look like to live in a world with more emotional intelligence and the ability to navigate hard things without hurting ourselves or someone else? Yes. Yes. What? I mean, we could dream, right? Like a girl can dream, can't she? Every day, sister, every day. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, that's what I'm staking it all on. Yeah, exactly. And when I look around, I just like see adults and especially adults in power and who don't have these skills. I'm like, I just wish I could hang out with your two-year-old self or your five-year-old self or your 14-year-old self and like support you with some of these tools so that you could then use that influence that you have and that power that you have to support other humans and model what it looks like to navigate hard things together. And I'm excited about the fact that emotional intelligence is buzzwordy, you know, we're talking about it, and then what that can mean for the world that we, but also our kids get to live in. Yeah. It's one of those things where I guess before doing this 
you know, ha- talking to experts and everything. I just assumed that EQ was something that you were sort of born with. Like uh, I, yeah. for instance, like I have a very high EQ, higher than my IQ. And, <laughs> and I've just sort of always been that way. And I feel like EQ is something similar to social skills, which can be taught. And as, you know, as I could always, you know, work harder on my EQ or work harder on my social skills, I could also then teach those skills to my child. Yeah, you bring up a great point. So I think, first of all, I said emotional intelligence is buzzwordy. And one of the things is like even breaking down what is it, right? So there are five components to emotional intelligence, self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy, social skills, and motivation. So it's a part of your EQ, the social skills is. And all five of those, they are possible for all of us and have to be taught. So when we look at things like most kids are going to learn to crawl or to walk at certain ages or stages, whether you get all the right things for them or not, right? Like their body is designed to do that. They aren't going to just hit an age where they have skills for self-awareness, self-reg, the social skills, etc. Those are things that are taught. And this is why we see that age bias come up where we like have that assumption that, oh yeah, once they get to this age, they should have skills for regulation. They should know how to calm their body or they should know how to differentiate when we're in a restaurant or when we're at home. And those are things that are taught. That's the social skills piece or the regulation piece. All of those, when we look at the five, The one that I think we focus the least on that is actually the most important is self-awareness, that you can't regulate what you're not aware of. So often we're like trying to help our kids have tools for regulation, which is great, but they can't access those tools if they don't know what it feels like in their body when they're getting to a place of dysregulation. And when they know like, oh, when my voice gets really fast or when my shoulders go up to my ears or when I start to get sweaty or when I feel like I have to say something right now because it feels urgent, that is a sign for me to calm and to regulate. When they learn those body cues, that's that self-awareness piece, then they can regulate and access those tools for regulation. And then they can choose their tone. They can choose their actions. They can choose their words. All that just insane for us. Like, We had a post on Instagram that was just like a total S show this past spring. And it was a surprise one where like usually posts along those lines do well, actually. And all of a sudden I was like, whoa, what is going on here? It was about teaching consent to babies. And I was being called a pedophile and all these things. And we were like, huh. And in the moment, like my heart's racing, like I am, it was a Saturday. So I'm like trying to hang out with my family. And I like popped in to engage at one point we're in the car. And I was like, oh, yikes, this has blown up in a gnarly way. And then I found myself like, oh, I really have to respond right now, right? Like I have to fire this off, which is now a clue to me of like, you actually got to step away. Like (laughs) you got to take a beat. And also just like pause and imagine if other adults had that awareness at this point to say like, oh, I really feel like I have to say something to this stranger on the internet. That means I need to take a break. Like just picture that future for a minute. That sounds dreamy. I wish I could. (laughs) As a content creator, yes, I very much wish I could. Sounds real dreamy, right? But then when I came back, then I was able to come back regulated and 
ask the right questions. And I got to have engaging conversations in my DMs. Some people were just like not here for a conversation, but there were a couple people where I was like, all right, still being called a pedophile, but like it's in a less aggressive tone. And so I got to ask like, hey, help me understand what's coming up for you here. Because my clearly my intent is not in alignment with the, the impact it's having. And she said, she was like, you can't teach consensual, you can't teach sexual consent to babies. And I was like, oh, in her head, consent is only sexual. And so I wonder if that's what's coming up for these other humans. And when I was able to like, I was like, okay, that makes sense to me now. And if you think that there's anything sexual happening with babies, like, yeah, you should fight like hell to make that stop. Like I, I'm here for that. And so I asked, like, what would it look like if I replaced consent with respect? And she's like, oh, it's a whole different post. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, lesson learned here. <laughs> wow. So it was literally just the one choice of that particular word over another word. Right. That just setting people off. But I noticed for myself, like, all I wanted to do was engage and respond to whatever. And now that I know for myself, like, that usually need, means you got to pump the brakes and put your phone away and go hang out with your family and whatever. But it's that it's, it's been for me building that awareness of like, what are those clues that I'm dysregulated before I can even access regulation? Yeah. I feel like they should be teaching that in preschool just even before they're teaching them ABCs, one, two, three, (laughs) red, blue, yellow. Agreed. Right. That is what we talk about. That's going to go further. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. And that's what we run into sometimes K five is this idea of like, my job as a teacher is to teach this content. And I disagree. I think your job as a teacher is to teach these skills that are going to serve them so that they can absorb whatever content comes their way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because the thing is, if they are dysregulated, then they are not going to be able to hear the lessons for red, blue, green, two plus Correct. two is four. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's been cool. We've been working with some like reading specialists lately and uh, some speech language pathologists. And when they are working first on the regulation, the results they're seeing in progress for reading and for language and communication are skyrocketing because then this kid's in a regulated state. Yeah. That's everything. Mm-hmm. I, trust me, as as a mom who I consider myself a, a veteran mom now, because my son is almost eleven, I've seen a lot of different things. And it, like you said, it, I always say this: it all starts with self awareness. Everything mm-hmm. starts with self awareness, and then after that, regulation. Well, I guess really in this yeah. part, we're talking about regulation and then self awareness. But those no, are the you're two. right. Self awareness first. The things. Yeah, self awareness first. You have to because. Yep. You're not going to get anywhere. You can't build if it's a building blocks and I'm showing you like a, a pyramid. Mm-hmm. You can't get to the top unless those layers on the bottom are firm foundations. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's what we dive into in tiny and mistake emotions. Like the how of this. How do you build that self-awareness? What does it look like to access regulation that's unique to your nervous system? And then when we're at the self-control place, how do we help skill build? Help them build new tools for communication or language, replacement behaviors of whatever behavior we were seeing. Yeah. And you mentioned empathy too. So how how do you work towards that as well? Yeah. Again, a doozy being that it's best taught by modeling. We are working so much with empathy on not like 
hey, I know exactly what it's like to be in that scenario and I would feel the same way and I would react the same way. But instead shifting that to, oh, I know what it's like to feel that feeling. And I can connect with that feeling. So I share a story in the book of magnetile tower being built and it crashes and this kid's obviously feeling disappointed or frustrated and had this flash to me having folded a bunch of laundry piles and Sage, my little guy came in and just like destroyed my laundry. And in that moment, if you'd come in and been like, don't worry, Alyssa, you can fold it again. <laughs> like, nope. No, no. I'm done now. I'm yeah. done. I've done it. I'm done. I'm moving on. Correct. And like, I know that's my end result, right? Like, I know that that's what I have to do. I'm not there yet. Right now, I'm feeling frustrated and disappointed. What I want is for you to be like, man, that sucks. Like, having a two-year-old's hard, right? And so when we look at the magnetile tower... It's not that I think like, oh, if I was building magnetiles and it crashed, I would also feel that level of disappointed or frustrated. It's, oh, that's what she's feeling right now is disappointed or frustrated. I know that feeling and I can connect over that feeling, not why they're feeling it. We connect over what they're feeling. Yes, that I love. I'm stealing that, putting it in my pocket for later. I'm going to save that one for my son because <laughs> I think that's an important one. I, I, When I read the book, I read that analogy and I was nodding my head because I was like, yes, that that feels familiar. For some reason, when my son was two or three, he always used to knock over my laundry piles. And I, was like, <laughs> I worked so hard on those. I finally got the baskets up from the basement, which felt like feet number one. <laughs> I was about to conquer this. And then they were going to sit in that basket folded for a long time before they got put into drawers. And that would have been the end. <laughs> but like, I got this part done. Yeah, it's, it's, annoying, right? It's frustrating and annoying and disappointing. And we can just connect over that. We have an entire chapter on building empathy in part three of the book. And we have a bunch of different ways that you can do it. When one of my favorite phrases we've been using in my household for a long time now is what somebody's learning. And as a way to also like destigmatize behaviors, especially peer to peer. And for instance, my child right now has a kid in his classroom who is doing a lot of like pushing and pinching. And so we've been talking about like, yeah, that's really scary. If somebody's going to hurt your body, I wonder what he's learning. And we, I was like, hmm, I wonder if he's still learning how to say, I want to play too, or I want to feel included. I'm feeling left out. And a lot of this kid's root is that he's trying to play and initiate play. And he doesn't know how to join play yet. He's still learning that. And the other day, my husband was driving Sage to school and it came up like, I'm feeling nervous about going to school, that this person's going to be there, that they're going to pinch or push. And Zach was like, yeah, buddy, that makes sense. And Sage said, he's still learning how to say, I want to play too. And I was like, yes, I love this. It's not that this is a bad kid. It's that he's a kind human who wants to play and is still learning how to assert that. And it just destigmatizes the behaviors and helps kids understand there's a need driving all of these behaviors. And then Zach was able to ask him, like, what could you do if he did that to you or if you saw him do that? 
and say, Chet, I not know, daddy. <laughs> and so the, Zach could pop in and say like, oh, you could say, hey, would you like to play with me? Do you want to have a turn with this? And give him like, how can you support this learning? But that's, I think, a huge empathy piece too, is like believing that everyone's well-intentioned and just trying to get needs met. And we often get try to get our needs met in reactive states in ways that are really annoying, can be hurtful, harmful. And when we can back up and say, oh, that person's trying to meet a need. How can I support that? Or what does that feel like for me when I feel left out? Then we can start to tap into some like empathy and compassion. Wow. That is so useful, not even for parents, but just for human beings, just for human beings on planet Earth, just trying to get through the day like we all are right now. I wish more people thought like that and gave a generous interpretation of people's actions based upon their needs. Yeah, as Brene Brown's like most generous interpretation is her one of her things from her work. And I've like taken that with me through my work. She's had such a huge influence in our work and really truly like believing that, that like everyone wants to feel like we are social beings who are designed to feel safe in community and connected with each other. And so when that's not happening, when the behavior doesn't match that, being able to access curiosity, I think starts with that belief of, that's at the core, right? Like they want this and they're having a hard time accessing it. What's going on for them? Yeah. Wow. Alyssa, you gave me so many thought provoking things. No, really. I feel like we just went in a way. I, I want to talk about this EQ stuff for forever. <laughs> and I, I really, I, I do. I'll hang out I, any time and I know about you could. Like now we're just going <laughs> to hang out and, just, and talk about this because there's so many different aspects of it. And in I think, like I said before, if you're looking at it as like a hierarchy of needs, it really is at the bottom. It is the foundation. You're never going to get to the top of self-actualization unless you meet these EQ needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. They're, They're cornerstone to us being able to move up the triangle for sure. And of course, like physiological needs are huge, right? Like, do I have access to water and food and safety and shelter? And if we can check yes on those, like, great. Also, do I have tools to build awareness of what's happening for me, tools to regulate my nervous system, understand my nervous system, connect with the humans around me so that I can feel emotionally safe, which allows my nervous system to calm and feel safe. Yeah. I love to talk about the nervous system because I feel like even a couple of years ago, people weren't speaking about that as frequently. Yeah. Yeah. I have been deep in the nervous system for a little while now. And I'm, again, so glad it's getting like more zeitgeisty because it's crucial. We separate that sensory reg and emotional reg in the book because of that, that the nervous system can, you, you and I can both experience an emotion. We both experience sadness at the same time. But if one of us has tools to be able to regulate the nervous system and be with sadness. It's the difference between sadness and depression of like, I'm stuck in sadness because I don't know how to regulate my nervous system so that I can be with sadness without spiraling. Wow. 
Melissa, where can everyone buy your book? Because everyone <laughs> needs to read this book. Everybody needs to read. Whether you're a tiny human or a big human, everyone has big emotions, or maybe you have tiny emotions. I don't know. Everyone needs to read the book. Tell me where sure. we, they could find it. <laughs> yeah, tiny humans, big emotions, wherever books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, local bookstores, all that jazz. We're in a number of global markets. It's being reproduced in a number of languages. I read the audio book as well. So if you're an audiobook human like I I am. I feel like if I open a book at this point, I just like kind of fall asleep, but I can like read or listen to a book while I'm doing dishes or getting lunch ready for the next day or whatever. So that's my jam. And then, yeah, that's, that's the book. And then I hang out on Instagram at seed.and.so, S-E-W, pretty frequently. It's where I like to, I will we post and hang out in stories and in DMs over there. Uh, and then our mothership, seedandso.org, has all the resources. And if you have a child who is in childcare or whatever and you want to bring this program to your child's school, that's where you can find out more information and connect there, seedandso.org. I hope everyone does because I believe that this should be in all of the schools. Same. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest and tackling another modern mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.